Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Let's Talk CFL Podcast. Roundtable discussion recorded live on Sunday and Wednesday nights. Visit Let's Talk CFL on Facebook for showtime. Brought to you by the Let's Talk Sports Groups on Facebook. Our partners, LostWorldOnSport.com. Stream live on BlogTalkRadio.com. Well, I'm praying this is working right now because the last 10 minutes have been a nightmare trying to get this show onto the uh, onto the air. I don't even know if I'm currently being heard or not. Uh, they couldn't hear me a minute ago, and I could hear them. So I could be just sitting here uh, speaking to nobody right now. And, well, with, oh, you know what? They're telling me they can hear me. Hallelujah, I got it figured out. It's funny how when you press a bunch of random buttons, it all seems to turn out. That's uh, my lesson for the day. If nothing's working out on your computer, just press button after button after button, and eventually something good is going to happen, or your computer is going to crash, in which case I did not tell you this. Good evening, folks. Welcome to Let's Talk CFL Podcast number 394. Oh, what a crazy weekend. What a crazy last 10 minutes, but what a crazy weekend. Some really interesting football games this weekend. And for us here down in the lower mainland, we had a massive thunderstorm. Thunder and lightning storm, the type of which I don't ever recall seeing in the lower mainland. The last time I saw anything like this, it was about three years ago, I was on vacation in Calgary, and we had a massive thunder and lightning storm storm all night one night and last night it was just crazy i actually got i had gone to bed and i could see the flashes through my blinds the my blinds were closed but you could see the flashes on it so i'm like i gotta go upstairs and see this so i went upstairs and i was treated to a a a laser light show that probably if a a company was going to put it on they would have paid over a million dollars It was lightning flash after lightning flash, 10 to 15 seconds, no more. And they were all over the sky. It was like a fireworks show that came out of nowhere. Um, And we don't get, if we get a lightning storm down here usually, we get three or four flashes of lightning and that's it. Not this one. This was uh, a light show that went on for two or three hours. And I saw a bunch of other people that were online and they were posting it as well. So... Um, okay, so wait a minute. Uh, hold on a second. Just give me one second here. Mark, I think, is trying to talk. I'm going to open up his mic and see if he can actually, uh, sorry, I think he's trying to, was it Mark that was trying to talk or was it, yeah, Mark, are you there? Are you trying to talk? Yeah, I'm there. I wasn't sure if you had us muted or not. I was Uh, hoping you uh, were just talking to nobody there for a second. It it muted it mutes all the lines automatically, oh, and okay. I just got in literally as the little intro was playing, and then all of them were muted. So I opened my mic, and I've just been rambling rambling on about thunder and lightning. But I should probably stop that now because I don't think anyone's even interested in it, anyways. But I I just thought it was cool because we don't get thunder and lightning storms like that. I don't recall ever getting one like that since I've been born, for crying out loud. But it was crazy. The prairies, I know, get them like once a week, especially in the summertime. Oh, yeah. But around here, yeah. 
it's not like that. So that's what I'm saying. The last time I saw anything like that, I was in Calgary about three years ago, and it was thunder and lightning every, like, ten seconds, if not sooner. But anyways, that was that. Yeah, exactly. I was actually up there taking pictures and taking videos with my phone. It was that neat. But uh, anyways, on to football. And seeing as we've got Mark in, I'll bring him in. Mark, who is our resident Winnipeg Blue Bomber fan, who I'm sure was quite thrilled with how um, the game turned out on uh, on Saturday uh, with a big win for the Bombers over the Riders. Good evening, Mark. Welcome to the show, even though you've kind of already been here. Thank you. I just wanted to make sure with all the problems that we were having there, mm-hmm. it was going to be myself or Will being in charge of the show. Right. It could have been entertaining. It um, might have been at the last second because I literally, I was I was on and I was listening to you guys talk, but you couldn't hear anything I was saying. I know. It's, uh, no, you don't want me and Will in charge of this show. This isn't going to end well. Mm-hmm. No. So, yeah, no, I fully got in at the last second. Yep. Yeah. No, I fully oh. entertained myself yesterday. Oh, I'm sure. I had uh, dragon boat races all day, raced to the um, tailgate. Mm-hmm. Had way too much to eat at the tailgate. Met a bunch of mm-hmm. new people, so that was cool. All from yep. Saskatchewan. We had like 50 people there. I saw that. I see the pictures. And I'm thinking to myself, I've got to go out to Winnipeg one time because I, I want to uh, experience this tailgate firsthand because it looks yeah. fun. And I want to come see that, uh, you know, for myself. Yeah, this is a larger one than normal, obviously, because yeah. of Saskatchewan. But there's still mm-hmm. there's thousands of people that tailgate now. It's becoming yeah, a tradition, that. and it's yeah. about time. Mm-hmm. It's so much fun. That's good. It is. Yeah, I've noticed it because I know they do that in Calgary a lot too. Because they've been to Calgary, and they actually have pretty big tailgates there. And I've noticed though Winnipeg a lot of. Uh, it seems to be getting bigger and bigger and seeing a lot more pictures from people from there. So yeah. that's pretty cool. It is. Yep. Speaking from Calgary, we've got someone online from Calgary. So I'm just going to bring him on the light line here. And I'll say good evening to you, Will. Good evening. Do we actually have tailgating in Calgary? Oh, sure. It has oh, been every okay. time I've been be, there. It must be those groups of people I walk by on my way into the stadium. Probably that are the drinking guys and barbecuing and, and, and that would be them. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, in their RVs. Okay, that's tailgating, is it? Okay. Yeah, that, I gotta remember that. I gotta remember yeah. that next time. So they're not you the, know, uh, probably, the, the transients. I'd probably only ever go to one tailgate party, and that would be if I was in Winnipeg, because I wouldn't go to Mark's tailgate or whoever has the tailgate just to mm-hmm. meet people that I've never met before. Uh, maybe, yeah, maybe I wouldn't go. Uh, <laughs> oh, I get to meet Chase. Jared. So yeah. does Chase does Chase wear a shirt at the barbecue or not? Sometimes. Okay. Does does he do most of the cooking or is that Jared? Uh, no, Joe and Mikey do all the cooking. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So there's no bodily. There's no bodily fluids in the food or anything. Is that what you're telling me? No, no, no. There's nothing okay, falling good. off of them into the food. No, no. Okay, good, good, yeah. good, good. And now, is that something that happens all year long, even in the winter? Or um, in the colder months? The Eastern semifinal last year, we had a tailgate. They let us set oh, up okay. fires. You can have fires. What? 
Were the Bombers in the Eastern semifinal last year? They were. No, nope. Western, sorry. Oh, Western, Western semifinal. The Western. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, no, the, in the semifinal they were. Yeah, Lions okay. were. The Lions yeah. were in the Eastern semifinal yeah. last year, and it got massacred right. by Hamilton. I have no idea. Right. Even right. though I would probably take that this year instead of what we got now. All right, so we got they one are, more person. Hmm? I was going to say they are big tail- tailgaters in Hamilton as well, apparently. Yeah, I've heard Huge. that too. Yep. Let's catch it on. Of course, here in Vancouver, we can't tailgate because of the bloody bylaws of the city. They always complain of Vancouver being uh, a no-fun city, and it's because of nonsense like that. To be perfectly honest, there used to be a lot beside BC Place where people did tailgate. And I remember a couple times before uh, Lions were hosting Western final games, there were hundreds of people in this lot tailgating. Uh, a bar brought in a bus with a giant grill, and, and no one got out of hand or anything like that. But, of course, now that parking lot now has a building standing on it, so it's kind of hard to tailgate when there's a building there. And they, they like to shut people down on that. They don't want tailgating. And part of the other problem is there isn't a whole lot of lots around BC. The lots are disappearing. There are parking lots, but they're all parkades. They're inside. You can't exactly tailgate in an inside parking lot. But I don't know. It's annoying. I wish we could do that here, but they don't let us. And that's why I got to go to other places to see tailgates. And now with Swoop Airlines, I can actually fly to Winnipeg for like 90 bucks. So maybe I'll have to check it out when the Lions are there one time, hop on a cheap flight and go out and see the Winnipeg tailgate for myself. Definitely. Um, yep. Okay, so we got one more person on hold. He's probably saying, let me on, let me on. So I'm going to put, I'm going to bring him on. And that would be Phil, who is also in Alberta, but a Riders fan. I'm guessing didn't enjoy the game nearly as much as Will, as uh, Mark did yesterday. Good evening, Phil. Oh, good evening, Charles. Good evening. Good evening. Uh, yep. That's kind of a good point you make there, uh, Charles, uh, because, you know, we went in this weekend – uh, having uh, 2019's first Super Saturday in front of us, and the banjo mm-hmm. ball was on, and I was really excited going into the weekend. Had a lot of enthusiasm and excitement, much like I've had for the last six or eight weeks now. But uh, I don't know what it was about this weekend. I just left the weekend feeling kind of blah about the CFL. Just can't put my finger on it. I'm guessing it's because the Riders lost, but that's just my guess. Yeah, it could might have something to do with it. I uh, I told you my think? daughter that I told my daughter the bad news that her riders had lost, and her nurse overheard me and said, "Do you know? Do you know what town you are in?" <laughs> uh, it was kind of entertaining. Love it. Meanwhile, everybody else around you is cheering. But uh, yep. Yeah. So that's um, that's uh, it was an interesting weekend. It started off. I thought even the game on Friday night with BC and Montreal was a very interesting and entertaining game, even though my team lost. But when haven't we lost this season? So, uh, yeah, so it was an interesting week. Um, I'm still trying to decide if I like the three games, three games in a row or not. Um, I don't know. It's kind. Of, it's a lot of football. I mean. Because they're all at different times, so it's like nine hours straight. So it's fun to watch, but you don't get much else done on days like that. But, you know, whatever. It is what it is, so I didn't mind it. 
I was tired on Saturday anyways. I was out late watching it, too, at the drive-in um, on Friday night. Uh, if you want a recommendation, if you're thinking about going to see It Chapter 2, save your money. Trust me. I just saved you uh, a bunch of boring uh, bunch of money and uh, three boring hours. All right, so let's get into the game um, chat here, our game reviews here. Um, so we're going to start with the Friday night game, which was Friday night football at Molson Stadium and there in McGill in the University of McGill, the oldest stadium in the CFL. How they're still playing football there, I don't know. Although I remember when they went, first went back there in Montreal, uh, went there because of a U2 concert, uh, which interfered, which was conflicting with a playoff game. They went back and played at McGill. So they go there, they're showing the stadium where they're going to hold this playoff game, and there's a freaking tree growing out of the stands in the middle of a trend, like a, an eight-foot-tall tree. So they've at least done something good with it. So, but they they need a new stadium there in Montreal. So Montreal. Uh, speaking of that, it, this one is actually a pretty entertaining football game, and of course, my Lions lose again. But they showed improvement. I, at this point, look, I'm a realist. I know the Lions are not making the playoffs. They're one in ten. They're not going to get anywhere near the playoffs now, and I realize that. I, I made the comment a couple of weeks ago, I want them to be competitive, and I want them to show signs of improvement. And I think they, they did that on both counts. Now, they didn't get the win, but they, you know, they held tough, and I thought they showed some signs of improvement. So um, I wasn't horribly upset with the game, even though I would have preferred to win. Who wouldn't have? But, uh, yeah, Montreal comes out on top 21-16. Will, what did you think of this game? Well, you know, the Lions did make an effort, that's for sure. And they did play not badly, that's for sure. And Montreal played okay. They didn't play great. They were playing the Lions. Um, I, I think it's probably really, really hard for BC to get excited about any game now. Because, yeah, they're not completely eliminated yet, but I don't think it's going to happen. And it's kind of it kind of reminds me of Calgary in the past years, where they would be, you know, ten and zero or whatever, seven and zero, and then the last two or three games of the season, they would lose because they have nothing to win for. You know what I mean? And I mm-hmm. think in this situation, I think. BC is the same position. I mean, yeah, there's probably some guys playing for their positions because uh, I would assume that some guys are going to be replaced next year. Um, but you know what? Overall, and I did, I made a point of watching all four games this weekend from start to finish, which I don't normally do. I usually PVR a couple of them and go through them real fast. But I watched every single game from start to finish. And what you were saying, Charles, nine hours on a Saturday is a little much. Because I always find that if I lay around and watch football all day, I'm even more tired than I was at the beginning of the day, okay? So so I'm not sure if I like nine hours of football on Saturday. Would have been nice if they could have broken it up. But 
they didn't. So, but no, the Montreal game was entertaining. Um, Montreal looked pretty good. I, I still think they're going to be, uh, you know, um, they're still going to be competing for first place overall in in the East. And uh, there's nothing that tells me they can't really do it. It seems that that Kahari Jones really has that team going. And and I I think they're going to be a hard team to deal with right through the rest of the season, which when was the last time we said that? About it's got to be five years. Yeah, it's got to be five years at least. And uh, so, yeah, it was a good game to watch. BC tried. Um, I really think BC has to get rid of Deron Carter. Not that he was part of the reason they lost the other night, but his compete level doesn't seem to be that great. So that's about all I have to say. Go ahead. All right, Mark, what did you think of this one? I actually thought the game was quite entertaining. Mm-hmm. For as low scoring as it was, there was a fair bit of offense, some good defense. BC did show a lot of improvement. Their defense did play better. You know, they did give up three touchdowns, but they did play better. The offensive line only gave up what was it, two sacks? Which is yeah, one two. You're right. Yep. Yeah. And that's generally in the first three or four drives that BC has the ball. So they did improve there. But they gave up the second sack at the worst oh. possible time. When you're in desperation time, it's a three-man rush, and five guys can't stop it? That it, made me shake my head. And that, to me, that showed it wasn't coaching. This is just not a good offensive line. And Riley is starting to look gun-shy. He doesn't look like the Mike Riley from two or three years ago. I think between Edmonton the last year and then coming over to BC, he's just taken too much of a beating. Montreal, they're just playing awesome. They're getting timely drives. They're finishing the drives. There's still a lot of work to do there because, let's face it, it's, BC's not a massive challenge. There's still a lot of work to do in Montreal, but I thought they played great, and Posey especially. He looked like he played with a chip on his shoulder. Mm-hmm. He was chirping a lot of the BC yeah, defensive backs. I wonder why. Yeah, there, there was a lot of chirping going on. So he... I thought he was the player of the game for Montreal. Everybody's going to give it to Vernon Adams Jr., of course, but it, I thought it, Posey won the game for them. He was getting catches every single time they needed one on second and long. And Kahari going for it on third and two? Close I, I didn't understand that. No, no, but what did he end up getting, like 15 yards? Yeah, it was just it, what an awesome chance to take. If you blow that, you could be giving up seven. But when it works, it's an awesome thing. And it, well, I thought it was an entertaining game mm-hmm. for it was. who for the places in the standings, the two teams. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, it was entertaining. Yep. 
Go ahead. Although Kahari almost got his hand caught in the cookie jar late in the fourth quarter when they could have kicked a field goal to put themselves by eight. Yeah. I know why he wanted to gamble, because if they get a first down, the game's over. But they got stuffed and gave BC some new life there. Now, it ended up ultimately yeah. not coming back to hurt them, but it could have. Uh, so he got kind of dodged a bullet there. Uh, if, when you, To me, I, to, the safer play there, kick the field goal, put your team up by eight, and then let your defense, which is a very good defense, shut the offense down. So they got away with it, but that wasn't a, exactly the smartest move. But it is what it is. Uh, Phil, what did you think of this one, Montreal and BC? Well, you know, it's uh, it's almost like I started writing my notes before the game because I really think that their O-line showed a lot of improvement. But I, I have yep. made a note here that Mike Riley and the BC Lions remind me a lot of the 1979 Saskatchewan Rough Riders, which featured a, a very good CFL quarterback in Tom Clements and a porous offensive line and a rookie head coach. Uh, that team went 2-14. and 14. And that rookie head coach was Ron Lancaster. Go ahead. Yes. Yeah. Yep. And uh, and Tom Clements was no no slouch either, much like Mike Riley. Nope, that's true. Uh, we did see some big big improvement, like I said, from that old line. Uh, they'd taken a lot of heat in the days leading up. I, I read a I read a quote just before the game that uh, uh, from a former player, and I forget who it was. He said. From watching them the week before, it looked like those that offensive line had never played the game before, and and that's some pretty pretty wild language to talk about professional athletes that way. Um, yeah. But um, they, they made some changes. They made that change in, and uh, sat out Suk Chung. And th- maybe you can tell us, Charles, was that due to injury or was yes, that actually he was he was, he, he was injured. Yeah. He tried to go, and he wasn't healthy enough. All right. Yeah. And uh, on the Montreal side of the ball, uh, like you guys know, they've been my pet team since before this season started. And, and I, I did predict that they would probably finish second, and, uh, but I thought Ottawa would be a little closer to them. Um, and so I'm, re- I'm really happy to see the success that they've had. And every time they win, I, I get a little grin. But uh, I, I enjoyed that game probably the most of any of the ones I've seen all weekend. And uh, wish I could have seen some more of that on Saturday. That's all I got. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, uh, the frustration continues for the Lions fans. I mean, we're at least competitive. We're not getting shelled and blown out every game like another team we're going to talk about in a few minutes. But... Uh, you know what? Um, the Lions are playing out the string, and I know what uh, Will is saying too about how it's probably hard to get up for these games when you know that your season's basically over in te- for all intents and purposes, and you've got no playoff hopes or anything. I mean, how do you get excited for something like that? It's, I mean, it's got to be really tough. I mean. But you know what? At the same time, you're professionals. You're still being paid. You gotta get. You gotta find a way to do it because just because you're no longer in the playoff uh, race anymore doesn't mean you don't go out and play. Go doesn't mean you go out and play your best. Nice to see the Lions only give up two sacks. Um, that I think that could very well be the Kelly Bates uh, factor coming in there. But like Mark says. 
when you've got your the game on the line and you've got a three man rush against five guys, so you've got a five to three advantage. And then if you want, you can even throw in the running backs, so you could potentially have a seven on three advantage or a, a six on three. How in the world do you give up a sack in that situation where you've got numbers and you still can't stop them? So that's still, um, um, you know, that's still you got to look at it and say, you know what, the they're getting better on the offensive line, but they clearly aren't there yet. So, uh, But you know what? They held strong. They were in the game right to the end. But uh, ultimately, Montreal, who is quite frankly a better team right now, even though I don't think Montreal looked as strong in this game as they had in a few of their previous games, um, they were still able to get the job done. So, um, And I'm with you, Mark. You could really tell that DeVere Posey had uh, – he had a little something extra in this one. Uh, he really uh, thinks that uh, I'm sure he's probably still pissed off that the Lions did not re-sign him because signing Deron Carter seems like a much better investment. Right. Um, yeah, so DeVere Plosey did have a very strong game. Uh, as for Mr. Carter... I think the only reason he's still here is now that they're past the deadline and um and um um you know they can't get rid of they got to pay him the whole salary even if they cut him so they may as well have him try something. He did have 5 catches in that game but for 32 yards. Deron Carter is supposed to be a speedster or he used to be. Why is he getting 32 yards on 5 catches? He seems Most to, of those were the seems, same. What's that? Most of those were the same pattern too, weren't they? Uh, just yeah. kind of, kind of uh, a stop routes. Because it it really looks to me like I think well he's phoning it in. He, he it's almost to the point where he doesn't seem to give a damn. So, but whatever, it is what it is. So we're stuck with them for the rest of this year. So uh, I guess you may as well have them do something. Uh, not that. 32 yards as much or something. But anyway, it's the final score in this one. Alouette's 21 and the Lions 16. Now let's look at, uh, let me go over here and i got to open up our, our, there it is right here. So obviously I had BC 27-24. I lose. Will, you had Montreal winning 28-26. You were out by 17 points. Phil, you had Montreal winning 26-22, a four-point gap. Uh, you were close, 11 points. CJ had a score of 28-26 for BC. He lost. What a surprise. Both the BC guys picked BC. Who would have thought that? And how about this score? Mark, 23-17. You missed the Lions score by one and the Alouette score by two. You get the gold star there. Uh, you were only out by three points, so good for Mark. Nice. We're going to be hearing a lot of Mark's names after these um, when we're doing our point spreads here. So just so you know, I was so, just going to say it quickly. I um, will send Christopher's comment to the page when I sent him the the um, results from the weekend. That, that yeah, you should do. That's funny. Yeah, yeah, that's I'm sure. I I can imagine. 
All right, so 28, uh, 21-16, Alouettes over the BC Lions. Oh, silver lining for the Lions, they now have a back-to-back with Ottawa. They should at least be at least – they got to get both of these. You know, us Lions fans have been through a lot of crap this year. Go and pummel Ottawa like everybody else does. Speaking of Ottawa, game two at – uh, whatever it's called, TD Place, I guess they call it now. 46-17, to 17, the Toronto Argonauts blast Ottawa on their home field. This one, 46-17 might flatter Ottawa. And I know that the 327 yards flatters Jonathan Jennings. Mark, you start on this one. What did you see in this uh, this game? Well, I don't know if you saw it or not, because I know you said you were at the Dragon Boats. But anyways, we'll go to you. Yeah, I've seen highlights, and I just quickly went through the video recap just now, too. I didn't really see any of this game. I was at Dragon Boat races all day, like you said. So, But from what I've seen, Jennings didn't look bad at the start. You know, they were 10 all at the end of the first quarter. And then it just fell apart yeah. between yep. an interception, uh, fumbles, Toronto kick returns, everything. It was one of those games where it's all going wrong today. All three levels of our team are going to suck. And it happened. And there's a lot of Toronto fans still saying get rid of Bethel Thomas, Thompson, whatever it is, the law firm. Yeah, I, I don't understand that at all. Yeah. Yeah, he's making a lot of mistakes, and he's not a great quarterback, but it's only his second year in the CFL. It's not like this is some five-year vet that's struggling. The guy's getting touchdowns. There's something about him that if he can just figure out the game a little more and have it slow down a little bit more, He's going to be very good. He's a leader, too, of the, of the offense. You can see that. It was nice to see Wilder Jr. do a little bit more in the offense. He's been so quiet this year. His numbers aren't massive, but at least he was a little bit more involved. And we got to see Ernst for Ottawa. Not bad numbers, 6 or 7. Yep. You know, it's a mostly garbage time kind of thing, but not bad numbers. So maybe we'll see more of him, hopefully, for Ottawa, because I don't know what they're going to do. There's not a lot left of that team. They just got two torn apart during free agency and refused to sign these guys. guess they thought they had a system in depth, but they don't. We'll talk about systems in depth in the next game. Um, but, yeah, no, Toronto just walked away from them. Go ahead. Phil, your thoughts. It was ugly. It it got so ugly in the end for the Red Blacks. I, I was hoping TSN would mercifully cut to uh, Banjo Bowl pregame talk. Um, it just, as the game progressed, as it went on, it, it got worse and worse. And the only positive I can thing I can say for Ottawa is I noticed Stefan Logan can still return. At his age, I, I thought we would have – I was really surprised that Ottawa signed him, but uh, he seemed to be the only football player that I could pick out on the field. 
and Sir Toronto, they uh, they continue to improve both on O.N. and defense. Um, and I agree with Mark. Bethel Thompson is impressing me more and more with every outing, actually. The steps are, are small, yes, but they're always up. Uh, he's not really taking a step back. He is improving with every, every outing, in my, in my opinion. Other than that, uh, yeah, that, uh, that was one I, I wished I could have had my three hours back on. That's all I got. Well, what did you think of this 46-17 Toronto blowout? Well, Ottawa is trending down, obviously. And uh, I don't know, you might see... You might see a new head coach in Ottawa next year. You never know. Um, but, no, you know what? Ottawa and Jonathan Jennings, you know what? Jonathan Jennings didn't look that bad, okay? He actually he actually looked better than I've seen him in almost two years. And But, you know, so his effort was there, but Toronto was just too strong. Did I actually say that? Toronto was just too strong. Um you know what? Uh, the law office, I think that guy's a keeper. Um, I think he's the best quarterback. He's the best quarterback they have in Toronto right now. And, you know, I I, I think James Franklin is uh, destined to be a career backup because he's not going to start in Toronto, not with Bethel Thompson in front of him. I think he he gets streaky, but he's got a big arm, and you know what? He gets lots of yards, and uh, if they have a decent team around him, you'd be surprised at what they would do. And uh, you still can't really count Toronto out that much, but Ottawa is Ottawa is going down like a sinking ship right now. So, go ahead. Well, um, you, this was just uh, Ottawa looked good for the first five or for the first ten minutes of the game. Like Mark said, they jumped out to a ten nothing lead in this one, and I think that's when they decided to stop playing. That that was good enough because after that point, it was all straight downhill. They got outscored forty six to seven the rest of the way. Their defense is awful. Their offense, they put up some yardage. At least Jonathan Jennings put up some yardage, 327 yards. But a lot of it was between the 20s, and that offense had no finish. And the defense just looks like a train wreck. They really do. Um, They're not stopping anybody. It just seemed that every time after a certain point Toronto went out, they were getting points. Um, they the thing is too is that early on the Ottawa Red Blacks were actually helped out by some early turnovers, but that also became their downfall because the Ottawa Red Blacks ended up with six turnovers in this game. Uh, four fumbles and interception and one turnover on downs. When you're giving up six turnovers, it makes it very difficult to win games, especially if you're having a decent drive. 
and then you end up fumbling. It becomes demoralizing, especially if it happens multiple times. And these turnovers were just killing the um, the Red Blacks, and I think their defense was probably being uh, demoralized because they kept getting put back out there, and they kept giving up point after point after point, and it ends up with uh, a big win for Toronto. So um, kind of happy for the Toronto fans that they actually got another win to cheer about. Uh, hopefully... Ottawa can provide the same um, same uh, cheer for our fans in the next two weeks. But I even after this game, I'm seeing people, like Mark said, saying, oh, we got to get rid of McLeod Bethel-Thompson. Uh, he's no good. we got to get rid of him. They won 46-17, to and he had 411 yards. What do you want to get rid of that quarterback for? I don't get. I know there are guys there that don't like him for whatever reason. They just they don't like him. But I don't understand why because he's actually. I mean, I was questioning myself how effective he would be initially, um, but he's actually gotten better as they've gone along. Clearly, so boy, I don't know what the hurry is to get rid of him because, like Will said, he's the best guy you got. And the Toronto defense did a, a good job at, after giving up some early points. They tightened up and only gave up seven points over the last three quarters. So they really uh, got strength in there, and uh, the offense for the Toronto was rolling. It's kind of the first time we've been able to say that at all this year. So good on Toronto to get that win. Uh, anybody else with anything on this game? I'll take that as a no. So the final score in this one was a blowout. Toronto 46 and Ottawa 17. Well, I picked 31-14 for Toronto. I was out by 18 points. Will picked Toronto 29-8. to You were out by 26 points. Uh, Phil... You picked Toronto. This you picked a closer game. You had uh, Toronto winning twenty nine twenty five. That's twenty five points. CJ, guess what? Picked Ottawa. Why the hell would anyone pick Ottawa? I guess he's just trying to. He was hoping that Ottawa would pull the upset and he could get a point off of us. Didn't work out. He loses there. So we got a tie in this one. So two of us get a check mark in this one. That would be Mark and myself. Mark with his second straight win. And I get back in the win column. We were both out by 18 points with our score. Actually, Mark picked the Ottawa score bang on. You were just uh, uh, out a little bit. Hold on a second. I'm looking at this here. 18. You know what? Mark actually won this one going away. We didn't tie. Whoever did this, Stephen Sparksman, actually made a mistake on the math because Mark picked 28-17 for Toronto. Well, they won the Toronto win, what, 38? Oh, no, 46, sorry. No, Stephen Sparksman, I apologize. You got it right. We were both out 18. Yeah. Anyways, I'm looking at the wrong thing. Don't mind me. So, yeah, so 18 points, me and Mark both Get a check mark there, so we're both on the board now. So we'll move into uh, 
game number three. This was uh, these next two were the two main events of this weekend by far. Um, the top four teams in the Western Division uh, battling it out, looking for position here. And the first game was at IGF in Winnipeg, where it was a rematch of the Labor Day game. Yes. Indeed, it was the infamous or famous Banjo Bowl between the Winnipeg Blue Bombers and the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, and the Bombers hammered the Rough Riders 35-10. to 10. The Bombers had no Matt Nichols, no Andrew Harris, no Lucky Whitehead, but they still managed to pile up a 25-point win. We'll start with the sad part of the discussion. Phil, what happened to your riders on Saturday? Well, the second play from scrimmage set the tone for the game. Um, On the first play from scrimmage, Devler was sacked back about the three, four-yard line. They're looking at second and 17. Riders had them where they wanted them, and they let Strebler not only get out of the pocket and, and run on a planned run, planned quarterback run play, as I remember it, they also let him drive the entire field and use up seven and a half minutes of clock for approximately to really, once they capped that drive, and when the riders came out and punted on the next drive, the game was over in my mind. It really was, especially on the road. It's, the riders couldn't start like that. Um, the Riders had a total of four second-down conversions in the entire game. Uh, their offense just wasn't clicking, and I've got to give a lot of credit to to uh, the Bombers' defense. However, I, I do believe the score flattered the Bombers a little bit. Uh, it's just one of those games where the points came early and often for the home team, and and and, and the visiting team was demoralized. Um, three to nothing in turnovers and a return touchdown uh, kind of puts a mark on the, on any game. So, really, I got. I, but I do have a question for Mark. I just wonder what what day is the Banjo Bowl parade planned for? <laughs> that's that's all I got. Other than I think the Winnipeg coordinators both O O O and D uh, did a did a terrific job. That's awesome. The writers were outcoached. That's all I got. All right, to the winning side, Mark. What do you think of this one? Phil is 100% right. The game was basically over on that second down conversion to start the game. Because as soon as Trevor went down, I'm like, fuck me. It's going to be like last year. We're getting smoked. I thought the best we're going to get out of this is giving up a safety and hopefully our defense can hold them to a field goal. And, man, that guy can run. I thought it was possibly the best game he's played as a bomber. I'm not saying he's the second coming by any means. He has a lot to work on. But he... With the play calling that Lapalise did, finally Lapalise didn't get in his own way with him. It was the 
full RPO all game long, and he used it well. And he also used the fake well. He was a second and one or second and two at one point. He faked the handoff. He took one step up, took a, didn't even take a step back, tucked the ball to Augustine about 20 yards downfield right into his hands over top two defenders. It was one of those games, the Banjo Bowl, Phil is right, the Banjo Bowl and Labor Day, you throw out regular football. It, it, it's whatever happens. The Bombers piled on. And realistically, it wasn't the Bombers' defense bitch-slapping the Riders, which Willie Jefferson did do. And somebody tell me the last time you saw a six foot seven guy do a backflip. <laughs> that was that was different. Yeah. Um, the bomber offense, the running game especially, bitch slapped the defensive line. Mm-hmm. The offensive line owned that game. It was a perfectly called game. I don't get to say that very often with Lapalise. Strebler has shown some improvement. He's not great by any means. I don't even want to know if I want to put him at good as a quarterback yet. But using the RPO all the time, that's how you have to go with him. And Saskatchewan had no answer on offense. Fiardo got away on one of his spin moves. I think it was in the fourth quarter when they got their touchdown. Other than that, Jefferson complete. you can tell Jefferson worked on that spin move all week. Because every time Fiardo did it, he was right there. So that's become a one-trick pony for him, and he's going to have to watch doing that now because there's a lot of film on him. No, it was a wonderful game to watch. It ended perfectly. And you also missed Nick Dembski on the uh, injured list. He didn't play as well. There were backups everywhere. So from that side of it, it was nice to see the depth. We're finally seeing the results of depth, and it's proving itself right now. It kept four points up on first for, for first place. I'll take it. Go ahead. Well, what did you think of this one? Well, you know what? It was uh, Saskatchewan losing. It was a combination of a number of things. I, I think uh, Saskatchewan took the Bombers lightly. I also thought, you know, they figured they beat them last week. They can beat them this week, which does make sense. Um, but in the in the previous game, Paul Lapolis tried to turn uh, Strebler into a drop-back passer. And I guess he realized that he wasn't a drop-back passer. And he turned him into an option quarterback or whatever you call it, want to call it RPO. And that's the perfect way to deal with Strebler and and uh, whoever the other running back is because you got people guessing all the time and Saskatchewan didn't have a clue to be honest with you they were guessing quite often um, that play Mark mentioned with Strebler where he hit Johnny Augustine 20 yards down the field that was the cheesiest fake I've ever seen in my life and, and Saskatchewan fell for it that's the scariest thing okay, so, right in Yes, he did. It was just like that was a playground move, okay? 
that a 19-year-old kid would do or something like that. But it did suck him in because Augustine was wide open. Um, you know what? Overall, it was a good win by the Bombers. Um, the one thing the Bombers have improved a whole bunch this year that they haven't had in the past is their depth. And they showed that in this game because they had some starters out, which, uh, you know, I, I keep on seeing on Facebook. That's why the Bombers are so good this year. They have such great depth. Well, I guess maybe the Bombers are so good this year because somebody's trying to um, <clears throat> copy another team in the CFL that's always had great depth. Yeah, so, um, you think? Yeah, I think. Um, so, you know what? Hey, good win for the Bombers. They need it to win. Like I said, the West is so tight right now, you can't afford to lose a game. And uh, so, good on the Bombers. And you know what? They should win the Banjo Bowl. And I like when any team, sorry, Phil, beats Saskatchewan. Um, you know, one of the things you look at about Saskatchewan, and I was I was reading some posts on it today. Man, you know, they spent a ton of money on Mika Johnson. And Mika Johnson doesn't seem to be the same player this year, which which goes back to my, you know, thought process. Is it the system or is it the player? Okay, because obviously he's playing in a different system this year than last year. And he has been pedestrian in my mind. I mean, um, you know, I saw, I saw, you know, Winnipeg running up the middle of Saskatchewan's defense. Nobody ran and ran up Calgary's middle last year because Mika Johnson was there. So I don't, I don't know what the problem there is, but you know what? Good win by Winnipeg. More power to them. Hey, let's see what happens with the rest of the year. Go ahead, Charles. Okay, so I really didn't think the Bombers had. When I heard uh, before that Will, that also Lucky Whitehead was out, I mean, I just I just couldn't picture it in my mind that the Bombers we're going to beat Saskatchewan. Saskatchewan beat them um, uh, fairly convincingly the previous week in Saskatchewan. And I just saw this one as... Um, I just Saskatchewan seemed to have momentum. They had won, I believe it was five in a row coming into this one. And they just seemed to be rolling a wave of momentum while... The Bombers were just getting decimated by um, by injury. A starting quarterback on, starting running back on. Now, Lucky Whitehead, who, I mean, he's not the best player they have, but he certainly uh, has been an, made an impact for them this year. And well, I mean, I say Saskatchewan beat them convincingly. They only beat them by two points last week, but I mean, they they just they overtook them really in that game. And I just thought with the wave of momentum Saskatchewan was on and the way the Bombers were uh, losing players like flies, plus the fact that I did not think Strebler looked really all that good last week in Saskatchewan, I just didn't see how the Bombers had it in them. But they really did. They stepped it up, especially the defense, especially Willie Jefferson. That guy's been a monster all year. And uh, he was great again on Saturday. And Strebler, while he didn't have gaudy numbers, 
He didn't turn the ball over. He didn't throw any interceptions. He threw for two touchdowns. He ran for two touchdowns. He ran for 70 yards. So he's a threat with his legs. He was a threat with his arm. And poor Cody Fajardo, who's looked so good in the last six or seven weeks, he just had one of those games where the clunker came up. Maybe TSN needed to show his dad more, but it didn't uh, work out that way. And uh, they also had no running game. Saskatchewan, zero running game. Other than Cody Fajardo, who ran for 46 yards, and by the way, you don't want your quarterback to be your leading rusher. Their their only other running back, they had seven yards other than Fajardo rushing. Brian Bennett ran for six yards, and William Powell, William Powell, one rushing yard. And only four carries. Now, did I miss something? Did he get hurt? No. No, they just went straight to passing, and that was it. They got behind early and uh, couldn't use them as much as they probably wanted to, but I agree with you, Charles. The, the, The game plan going in should have been pounding the ball with William Powell. William Powell is one of the best running backs in the CFL. In a game like this, four carries is not as ridiculous. That's an absurdly low number for that guy. One yard? I mean, I know when you get behind... It becomes tougher and tougher to run. But if you mix a run in now and then, it helps to stabilize the defense. Especially when you've got an impact running back like William Powell who can make a difference with one carry. That just seems unbelievable to me that in a game like this, a big game like this, where first place is on the line, they only give William Powell four rushes. Behind him, you've got to have way more than that. Yeah, that's true, but still. Yeah. The interior defensive line for the Bombers, Nevis and Stephen Richardson, or Richards, that, that's exactly it. I have no idea who the guy is. He's a, he's a rookie, and they just plug up the run game. Yeah, I guess so. They did it last week again, too, <laughs> to Powell, until the last drive. Hmm. But Agreed, when you look Mark, at it, it, yep. Ahead, Agreed, Phil. Mark. That, that's and and well put, Mark. That's the no-name part of the of the Winnipeg defense, and they've just been yep. solid in, on the inside. Hmm. Yeah, that's just um. Yeah, the, the Riders just didn't have it last night. I guess they were kind of due for a loss because things have been going so well for them, but for a golden opportunity like that when they could have actually moved into first place with a win, and you're playing the Bombers who are without their starting quarterback, start, their starting running back, without Lucky Righthead, and had kind of been reeling after getting beaten last week. I mean, I just expected so much more of a better um, performance out of Saskatchewan. And I guess, they, like you guys said, that second play just rattled them, and they, it seemed like they didn't recover. But one play should not rattle a team like that. But evidently, it seemed to. So, all right. Anything else from anybody on this one? Anyone? Anyone? Bueller? I'm Bueller? good. Okay, I guess we're good. I'm good too. 
Okay, so uh, final score, Winnipeg 35, Saskatchewan 10. I thought the Riders were going to win. I lost. I thought, uh, Will, you had uh, Winnipeg winning 16-12. to 12. You were up by 21 points. I lost. Phil? Yep. Phil, you had the Riders winning 29-24. You lost. CJ had the Riders winning 28-21. He lost, and the winner, again, Mark, who had a score of 32 to 20, he was out by 13 points, and wins again for the third time this week, as he rockets up the standings. I'm catching you, Phil. Mm Mm-hmm. Spoiler alert, this will not be the last time I talk about Mark winning a game. So it was 35-10 for the Bombers over the Saskatchewan Roughriders. So they're now back four points clear of Saskatchewan. So you got to think in terms of first place in the West, they're pretty much in the driver's seat right now. To have a four-point cushion over second place, that's big at this time of year. As long as they uh, they don't go into a tailspin or freeze fall, they should be in pretty good shape to win the uh, the Western Division here. Uh, what's the record now? Is that uh, hold on? What is the record here? Let me pull it up. They're nine and three, so there's six games left to go. So um, yeah, I, you got to think that if they can go three and three or four and two or even three and three, they should be able to uh, to take control of uh, first place. But we shall see. So let's go on to the final game of the week now, uh, which uh, took place in Edmonton. A rematch from Labor Day again. Both the Western games were rematches. So the the Bombers bounced back and avenged their loss from the week before. So the question after that game was, could the Eskimos bounce back and do the same? The answer was no. They got crushed again. Well, crushed, well, it wasn't a total crushing, but it was a double-digit uh, double digit loss again with the Stampeders uh, knocking off the Edmonton Eskimos 33-17 to in this one. Now, I just want to look at one thing quickly here because it's an interesting kind of uh coincidence here where is it here 33 to 17 and last week they lost 25 to 9 so look at that both games 16 point losses back to back huh things are not looking too good right now in Edmonton and they lost a key piece of their team because Trevor Harris their starting quarterback went out with an injury i haven't heard what it was but i'll tell you it looked eerily similar to what we saw Bo Levi Mitchell go down with earlier this year, from what I saw. Now, I'm not saying it's the same thing. I'm just saying it looked similar. Will, you're the Stampeder fan, so your team got the W in this one, so we'll let you have the honors on this game. Well, and I think I think Harris uh, um uh, I think it, they they were saying it's a tendon problem because what he was having trouble with was gripping the ball. 
and, and so I don't okay. think it had much to do with his shoulder. I, he just he just couldn't hold the ball and throw it hard enough, I guess, because he tried yeah, yeah. the entire game to come back. Um, that was an interesting game. I uh, Like I said last week or a couple of days ago, Calgary has to keep pace. And so they can't lose. They can't lose any games. And there's something about them in this game that struck me as as odd. I think Bo Levi Mitchell threw three interceptions or at least two interceptions, and it was kind of like, uh huh. So what? Let's just go out and try and score. Okay. It didn't seem to phase them whatsoever. Um, I I think this team is just trying to find find out who they are, and I think they're doing it quite rapidly because they are the second youngest team in the CFL right now. And uh, you know what? Yeah, Harris didn't play. I really don't think it would have made a difference if Harris had played. Um, their their backup quarterback I thought did did a good job. Um, they did manage to uh, shut down the Stampeders running game, which in the last game they got 147 yards. They seem to shut that down because I think Kadeem Carey only had 47 yards. But uh, it was quite funny because I thought they would double-team uh, Begleton a lot so that he didn't have as much of a game as he had last week. He had not not bad of a game, but when it stopped working going to Begleton, they started going to Eric Rogers. And I guess if they take the double team off Begleton, or you put the double team off Begleton, you got to take it off of Eric Rogers, and he caught some key passes. Um, the other guy I want to talk about, since we're on this subject of, of Calgary guys, um, my buddy's son, Colton Hunchuck, it was his first start ever in a CFL game, and he had five catches for like 50 yards, and they used him kind of as a as a safety to uh, catch the ball when they needed a first down. And he did quite well for, and, and a lot of people don't realize this, but this kid is only 21 years old, which is pretty young yeah. to be in professional sports. So I was impressed with that. Bo Levi did the Bo Levi thing. Um, their defense did the defense thing. I think the key with Calgary's defense is the defensive backfield is pretty, is pretty good. And I think a lot of teams have trouble with that. So I'm not going to say too much because it's still not the end of the season. Calgary, I think, is coming on. But they have another big test this week when they play Hamilton. So, And Hamilton does have the best record in the CFL, I do believe. So let's see what happens. And I'm pretty optimistic about the Stamps already. So, But they, uh, I don't think it... I don't think the game was ever in doubt, to be honest with you. Anyways, all I have to say, go ahead. Phil, what did you think of this one, Calgary-Edmonton? Well, I I call this the Alberta Bowl now. I've given it a new nickname. I'm hoping it catches on. But uh, even with the pedestrian stats from the now all-time leader in stamps wins, Levi Mitchell, I think, uh, got to 72 wins yesterday. That puts him ahead of Henry Burris in the for the all-time team record. His uh, stats were uh, 24 of 39. That's 61.5%. 247 yards, 
two touchdowns, and you're right, three interceptions. Uh, his longest throw was for 25 yards. So, quick pedestrian out of Bowley by Mitchell. However, uh, on the other side of the ball in, in Edmonton, uh, Logan Kilgore forced him into action. He's a third one of those guys like Fajardo and Vernon Adams Jr., who's been on CFL rosters for like quite a few years now. Like He goes back as, to as early as 2014 with stats on CFL rosters. Um, he finally gets his chance, and he started out pretty sharp. He went nine for nine in, in before the half, and uh, things didn't go so good for him in the second half. Though. Uh, it, you know, I stayed watching this game for a long time, because in in the four Calgary losses this season, they had double-digit leads in each one of those games. So I probably watched for a lot longer than I should have, because it did get uglier and uglier for for the Eskimos. The Stamps they they look pretty good again this week, guys. Uh, and they, they continue to scare me. And, and I guess I have to put them at second in my power rankings behind the Bombers, uh, pretty firmly in second right now. I would put them ahead of Hamilton and well ahead of the Riders this week. And uh, I really good point you made there, uh, William, about uh, Colton Hunchak. Uh, kind of looks like uh, he's going to be a guy that's going to stick around the CFL for a few years. They, uh, at least they've found a way to work them in pretty well there on Saturday. And uh, I understand that uh, there's another point coming to Mark on this one, and I guess that's fitting because uh, much like the Bombers hung a licking on the Riders this weekend, Mark hung a licking on me in the score-picking standings. That's all I got. Mark, your turn to go on this one. I didn't see a lot of this game. I saw the second half because we went out in the field at the Bomber game after the game uh, and hung out there for a bit, but I did catch up on it. Um, Yeah, no, Will's right. If Harris had stayed in the game healthy and everything else, I don't think it would have made a difference in this game. Calgary took it to another level. Like I had said when we talked about the game, they're a different team with Bo Levi Mitchell, obviously. And they showed it. The thing they didn't show me yesterday was the last couple of years' cockiness. They've been a pretty cocky team. They were not cocky at all. I think I only saw one fist bump, really, from Mitchell after a touchdown. It was just like, yeah, I'm I'm not playing a very good game. I'm throwing interceptions. I'm still winning this game, and that's it. Calgary is facing adversity this year, and it's probably the best thing that could happen to them. Edmonton, I honestly think they're done. Without Harris, if he's out for any length of time, Kilgore did play well, but we'll have to see what happens in the next couple of games with that if Harris is out. They're going to have to rely so much on C.J. Gable, and they're really not a running team. They're more of a passing team because of Harris. So it's going to be up to the offensive coordinator now to, he's got to flip the the playbook. And they didn't do it enough yesterday. They didn't use C.J. Gable enough, I didn't think, anyway. 
I didn't really see what his numbers were, but yeah, 12 rushes, 60 yards. Well, he had 125 yards, so I can't say he didn't do enough, but they need to use him more. It has to be like Andrew Harris in Winnipeg, over and over and over and over, just to get Kilgore settled in. And they didn't do it enough yesterday, and I, Calgary's just a better team. Edmonton's really starting to lose confidence, and Calgary is just a better team, and they proved it. Those back-to-back games coming up with Calgary and Winnipeg are going to be massive. Makes it fun football. That's it for me. I expected more fight out of the Eskimos this week after being beaten by Calgary last week. Now, I think that Harris getting knocked out of the game maybe took some wind out of their sails, but Kilgore didn't look bad. He really didn't. Uh, 21-28, 242 yards. It's not like he was uh, awful. But they needed to use, once um, Trevor Harris went down, I think they should have used C.J. Gablemore. He had 12 carries, but with Harris being out, that should have been probably up closer to 20 carries because he's an impact running back, and uh, he can uh, open up the pass and be especially helpful, especially when you've got a young quarterback in the game like Kilgore. But they got away from it, I guess, probably because they fell behind, like we talked about in the last game. The Riders didn't use the run because they fell behind, and I think you saw the similar thing from Logan Kilgore and the Eskimos. They got behind, uh, so they felt the need to pass more. Um, yeah, Sam Peters was Reggie Bagleton and Eric Rogers. They've got a really solid one-two punch at receiver. Reggie Bagleton is, I said last week, he's becoming a premier uh, receiver in this league, and uh I think that's uh, pretty evident. Uh, he's leading the uh, Stampeders in every game pretty much now. And he's putting up some good numbers. And once again, I think we saw this week that they are a different team with Bo Levi Mitchell. They were in complete control uh, of that game almost from start to finish. Like Will said, I never thought at any point that game was really in doubt. Uh, it would look like it was pretty much Calgary right from the get-go. And while Winnipeg's still leading the West, you've got to look out for Calgary now because with Bo Levi Mitchell back now, and he's been out, so he's rested up nicely. That uh, injury might turn out to be a blessing in disguise for uh, Calgary because with Mitchell back now uh, playing like he is, and now he's rested, having not played for a number of weeks until just last week, that could be very... uh, um, very bad for the rest of the CFL. So I'm also wondering, um, I haven't heard any extent on Trevor Harris and how long he's going to be out for. So I'll be very interested to see how, if they have Eskimos are out with um, how long they're going to be out um, and how they're going to perform with him being out like he is. So uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about that later, but he was, um, but I don't think Kilgore embarrassed himself. So if he has to come in and play and he gets a full week of reps with the first-team offense, I think he could be all right. So I'm interested in seeing how he progresses going forward because we've seen a number of young quarterbacks come in this year 
with some of the veteran guys getting hurt early in the season and performed pretty well. So we'll see if Logan Kilgore can uh, kind of follow with that trend or not. So uh, 33-17, the final there, Calgary over Edmonton. Anybody else with anything on this game? You know, I wanted to mention I wanted to mention one thing, okay? Everybody can answer this question. Which quarterback in the CFL has gotten beaten up the most this year? Mike Riley. The only one still standing. The only one still right. standing. Is that amazing or what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> he is definitely the toughest guy in the CFL. No he's doubt iron. about it. Hands down. He, yep. He's an At iron any man. Position. At any he, position. He's just like, wow. You see all of these guys going down, and Harris was the last starter to go down. And now Mike Riley's the only man standing. And as far as Bo, Le- Bo Levi Mitchell getting uh, – you know, uh, being injured early in the season. You know, in 2000 and was it 15, 2015, Mike Riley was out for the first six or seven games. He came back midway through the Labor Day game, the last quarter, and he lost that game. But after that, he ran the table and they won the Great Cup. So, I don't know. Maybe quarterbacks not getting beating up, beaten up as much as an 18-game schedule makes it. Maybe that makes a difference. Who knows? We'll see. We will see. All right. So 33-17, uh, the final game of the week this week. Uh, CJ. Well, he picked the wrong team again. In fact, he did not pick a single winner right this week. He goes 0 for 4. <laughs> Will, who said that? That would be okay. CJ. Oh, okay. I didn't know he was online. Or did you send that? Is that what he said? Is that what he yes, said to is. you? Or Okay, I get yeah, that. That's what he that said. That kind of seems right. Okay. Uh, Will, you had to score a 24-10 Calgary. You were out by 16. Uh, Phil, you were even closer. 26-19 Calgary. You were out by just nine points. And myself, 35-15. Out by two on each one. I guess that means I win. I get my second check mark of the week. Actually, no, it doesn't. Because Mark... Pick 32 to 15, out by three points. And he gets his fourth strike check mark. He runs the table this week. Sweep. A clean sweep. Well, you had to share one game with me. But other than that, you got four out of four. So very good. And uh, so if we're going to look at the standings here uh, for week 13, it's a dead heat at the top. Phil and Mark, both with 14 wins. I'm sitting in the bronze position with nine. Will's right behind me with eight. And poor CJ's down at the bottom, kind of like our Lions. But he's still got two more wins than they do with three. Hey, I have a, I have a question for Mark. Hey, Mark, when you were on the field after the game yesterday, just my question is pretty uh, simple. Did you take I your shirt off? 
Yeah. Did you take your shirt off? No, or? I didn't take my shirt off. Okay. <laughs> Just check it, buddy. Oh, uh, dear. <laughs> and yep. that's it for me because I have to get up in four hours. Uh, Yippee. Four hours. Yes. I love the hotel industry. I do not have to get up in four hours, so I'm kind of happy. Time changes a lot. (laughs) Yep. Anyway, I'll say my good nights now. Have a good rest of the show, and of course, BC sucks. Okay. Good night, Mark. Thank you for coming on. You bet. And then there was three. There was three. Yep. Two in Alberta and one in BC. Jesus, that actually rhymes. Then there were three. Two in Alberta, one in BC. Ugh, I'm getting tired. Let's talk CFL. And I'm sorry here, Phil, but be- just because of the way Saturday's game went, I think I really have to... Uh, in honor of CJ not being here, I really have to, I, I have to play this. But the story is floating around, and if it goes public, he'll have to finish his career in Saskatchewan. Have you ever been to Saskatchewan? No, I haven't. Fucking blow his skin. I had to go with that because I know CJ would have played that if he was here, so. Absolutely. Yep. All right, so moving on. Where's my agenda that I put together? Uh, Sitting in Boston Pete today, putting this thing together. Uh, where is it? All right, next segment. The CFL has signed a new f- six-year deal. Uh, contract extension with TSN, giving TSN exclusive rights to all of their games for the next six years. Is this a good thing for the league, or should they have tried to diversify and spread it around a little bit? I'll start. Start with Will. Will, what do you think? Is the re-signing for six years with TSN, is this a good thing for the league? Well, uh, what was the contract the last time, do you know? I do. Uh, let's see. In March of 2013, the CFL and TSN agreed to a five-year broadcasting agreement with $43 million annually, which started in 2014. This one will bring the league $50 million, so another $7 million a year uh, more than the previous deal did. Well, and I don't know if any other um, network is going to offer them that kind of money. So as far as spreading it around goes, I don't know if that's a good idea or not. I mean, you know what? $50 million a year is significant for the CFL for sure. And it's what's going to keep them going. And yeah, I have no problem with that deal whatsoever. I don't I'm not crazy about TSN because I don't think TSN goes out of its way to promote the CFL to be honest with you. I wish they'd do it more, but they don't. Um but hey, I guess I have to keep my cable for another 6 years so I can watch football on TSN. That's really all I have to say. Mhm. Phil, what do you think about the league signing on for uh, six more years with TSN as their main uh, broadcaster? Well, I think it's great news. Uh, 
I've been doing some reading on how the contract was signed as well and, and how it's set up. And it has lots of options to it, including uh, CFL 2.0 and uh, provisions for expansion to Halifax that will improve the, the value of the deal. So um, all around, I, I, I think it's good. And I'm going to give uh, the commissioner some kudos for, for doing one of the uh, three things I've already been failing on up until now. It's really all yeah. I got about it. Yeah, I gotta have to agree here. Ever since um, TSN took over as the sole provider of uh, CFL, um, their uh, coverage has gotten so much better than what it was. I remember the old days of uh, of um, the CFL when they were on CBC and uh, when they were on CTV and so on. Uh, I mean, TSN will actually do a proper half-hour pregame show and stuff like that. If you got five minutes of pregame coverage on CBC, you were lucky. And uh, I'm, I was never a fan of a lot of the uh, C, the uh, the CBC guys, like the pro, the broadcasters and stuff like that. Couldn't stand Mark Lee when he used to do football. Uh, I think that the um, CFL, uh, TSN has really raised the profile of CFL. Since they took over, I like the fact that we know exactly where the games are. You're not having to think, oh, is it on TSN? Is it on CTV? Is it on uh, CBC? I'm glad it's not on Sportsnet because, quite frankly, I hate Sportsnet. Most of the people on it, and I just I don't really like Rogers to be to begin with, and they own Sportsnet. So, um, but yeah, I just um, I have no problem with it. I like the coverage that TSN has. Uh, even with some of the goofy antics they have on uh, on the panel, I mean it's fun and so on. Milt Steagle and his bow ties and whatever. I just think they do a good job of it. It's a uh, a good uh, for the league. Fifty million dollars the league that gets spread out equally between the nine teams. So that's a nice uh, you know three million. No more than that. Six five, nine times. So that's five to six million. Actually, a, more, a little more than six million per team, which is a nice little uh, change into the pockets of the owners. So that will help, including some of the struggling teams that are maybe having some financial issues. So yeah, I think it's a good thing. Uh, and if like Mark, if like um, uh, Phil was saying, there are provisions if Halif- if Halifax comes into the league and so on, that that money gets raised up a little bit more with the tenth team and so on. The one thing I would say, though, that I'm I'm a little surprised that they've never done, because uh, TSN is owned by Bell Media, which is also owns uh, CTV. I'm always surprised that they do not put the Grey Cup on CTV, mainly because CTV is in more homes in Canada, has a wider audience in Canada than uh, than TSN does. Um, they could still play it on TSN, but also uh, on uh, CTV back in the 80s and 90s and so on. They used to have the Grey Cup on two different networks. So I'm just a little surprised that they did not have it. They've never put it on the national CTV network. I don't know. Maybe CTV just doesn't want it because they're busy, I don't know, showing reruns of the Connors or something weird like that. But um, I've always thought that would be a good thing to do because it would give uh, even more access to more people. 
But they're happy where it is right now, obviously, on TSN. So, to me, this is a good move. I think it makes sense. Uh, TSN does a very good job. I, I know some people get annoyed with them, but I personally think that there are they are a good provider. So, I like to move. I like it on TSN. And, uh, yeah, six more years and uh, good on them. And uh, away we go. And no worries about that. And thank you for not going to Sportsnet. Anyone else want to say anything on this? I got one thing to add. Uh, You know, uh, the other thing with TSN is uh, they're a terrific conduit to ESPN for the league. And ESPN, who owns 20% of TSN, um, has been – now has full broadcast schedules for the entire uh, CFL schedule. Right. The other thing I'd like to add is TSN has done a very good job ever since the, the panel was adopted in, I believe, 1998, um, possibly 97. Um, sounds about right. It was a little, yeah. clunky, a little clunky at first, but uh, even when they were still sharing with CBC, I, I think that that panel was very important to the growth of the CFL game an interest across the country, and TSN has done a very good job and continues to do a very good job with the panel. Yeah. Well, I think that whole thing with the uh, panel and so on, it kind of got born out of when uh, Fox in the U.S. got uh, the rights for the NFL. They were really the first kind of um, uh, major network in TV. I know uh, ESPN did it with uh, ESPN um, uh, NFL Sunday and so on, but they were the first real network to kind of employ like a panel type situation uh, featuring old players and old coaches and stuff like that on it. And then TSN kind of brought that concept into the CFL. And uh, like you said, they were a little clunky at first. I remember the days going back to Marty York and Bob Bilovich and so on being on those panels. Uh, and they went through the growing pains, but I really think that they've got it down well now. Um, I actually like Milk Stiegel. I like, um, what's the other guy? Um, oh, shoot. Matt Dunnigan, I don't mind. I, I way prefer Matt Dunnigan on the panel than him doing color. He grates on me when he does color because he thinks he's a bit of a know-it-all. But um, I do like the uh, the panel on TSN. I think that the panel is, uh, it can be enjoyable. Sure, they get annoying from time to time, but... Overall, they do a good job. I like it, so. Yep, any more comments on this from anybody? Apparently, there are no more comments. So, it's time to move on to a next, our next topic on our wild world of topics. Uh, so, the so some more controversy and a little more jabbing back and forth when it comes to the CFL and the CFL PA coming down this past week with Commissioner Randy Ambrosi uh, was giving an interview, and he said that especially uh, kind of pertaining to the um, uh, the Simone Lawrence hit on Zach Caleros earlier this year uh, and the talk, basically Ambrosi saying that um, – he was deeply disappointed in the way that the CFLPA handled that, and he says that the CFLPA is more reactive as opposed to being proactive when it comes to the topic of uh, suspensions and uh, injuries and player safety and so on. Obviously, um, Ramsey, the uh, CFLPA um, 
what's his, I'm sorry, his first name is kind of escaping me. I think it's, is it Brian Ramsey, uh, the CFLPA head? He obviously was not a fan of the commissioner's comment. But what do you guys think? The comments he made, um, do they have some merit about the way that the CFLPA handles uh, both the, um, the, sup- the supplementary discipline uh, as well as, you know, player safety. The player safety was a big issue in the labor negotiations in the offseason. The, um, um, they want, uh, that was a big issue that the uh, Players Association went to bat for. But there have been times and have been charges by other people that the Players Association uh, a lot of times do not really act on the side of players' um, safeties, when, especially when it comes to... Uh, Players that are um, players that are appealing suspensions and so on for uh, dangerous hits. What do you think? Does Ambrosi have a point when it comes to this, Phil? What do you think? Well, obviously this is a pissing match that these two have going. Uh, it sounds like more like a political infight, you know, or like yep. like politicians, opposition politicians would speak to each other and about each other. And uh, particularly going public with this, it's it's disappointing. And, you know, I guess it's not unheard of. It, it isn't always, you know, players union executives and, and, uh, and league uh, commissioners don't always have a, a smooth relationship. And I think this is just part of that. And I don't think I'm, I'm going to read too much into this. And it, it doesn't bother me. It doesn't excite me. It doesn't. I'm more about the football on the field, uh, particularly when it comes to these kind of infighting and uh, and CBA negotiations, and particularly player safety. Uh, I think it's uh, for somebody well above my pay scale to to worry about, and uh, doesn't interest me a whole lot. That's all I got. Will, do you have any uh, thoughts on this matter with the PA in the league? You know what. I'm uh, I'm like Phil. I don't really pay much attention to this because it's above my pay grade, and and I I don't really care how the PA handles anything. I, once again, for Randy Ambrosi to comment about what the PA is doing, I don't think that's his place, to be honest with you. And it just creates infighting between the PA and the CFL, and I don't think we should have that. We should, you know what? Everybody has their rights, and they can, and they can, uh, you know, review suspensions and so on and so forth. So I think it's just, I don't know, Randy Ambrosi opening his mouth when he shouldn't. That's all. If Randy Ambrosi has issues with how the players um, are dealing with uh, discipline and player safety. He should be approaching them and not a reporter. Meeting this crap uh, through the media doesn't work. Uh, All it does is piss people off. I mean, I'm sure he has the PA's phone number and can phone them and deal directly with it. I don't know why he felt the need to go to the media with that. So while I do think there is some merit to what he's saying, there are far better ways I think he could have dealt with it than negotiating this kind of stuff through the media because that's all that brings it up is this me is bringing it through the media and talking to them and saying, 
oh, they don't do this, they don't do this. What's the purpose of it? Talk to them directly. Don't talk to the media. It's, what, is Ambrosi trying to show off, or is he trying to make himself look better by trying to make the PA look bad? It almost seems like it, doesn't it? Um, there still seems to be some some bad blood between the uh, the PA and the league after this uh, whole um, labor negotiation. It still seems to be some kind of scars there. But uh, really, this, this is stuff that doesn't need to be brought up through the media. They should be moving on and dealing with far more uh, far more important things than that. So. I don't know why they bothered to do this, but smarten up and forget this. So it doesn't make sense to me. So I think it's time to kind of stop with this. And if you have a an issue like this, deal with it directly with the Players Association. Because the negotiating stuff like this through the media, it doesn't work. It just creates bad bad feelings, which is not necessary. Because it makes the league look bad. So, anyways, um, I'm pretty much done on that one. Does anyone else have any more to say on this, or shall we move on? Move on. Move on? I think that's a good idea. So, as we uh, referenced earlier, Trevor Harris uh, injured himself through against the Calgary Stampeders. Uh, I did not know what the injury says, but Will had brought up that he believes it may be a tendon injury, uh, maybe to his hand for um, um, his throwing hand or his throwing arm. So uh, I have not heard how long, if at all, uh, Trevor Harris will be out. But with the meat grinder that is the Western Conference, with uh, Winnipeg still uh, riding high, uh, Calgary really gaining steam, Saskatchewan, who was on, like, a, I believe, a five-game winning streak up until this week. Can they survive in this Western division without Trevor Harris? No offense to Logan Kilgore, but he's a young guy and uh, hasn't been through the, uh, uh, a pressure cooker like this before. And for a young quarterback, if he has to place uh, any sort of um, sustained uh, starting role, Will he be able to keep up with this in this what being a very competitive uh, Western Division? Will, what do you think? Do the uh, Eskimos need Trevor Harris to uh, to uh, you know keep themselves afloat in the West? Well, I think every team needs their starting quarterback. That's why they're the starter. Um, Logan Kilgore didn't look that bad, and like you said earlier, who knows? if he gets a week of first-team reps, because he did not look out of place. Um, he didn't look bad, but, of course, Trevor Harris is the starter, and there's a reason for that. Um, you know, <coughs> you can you can look at teams this year. I mean, you know, you look at Saskatchewan. Well, Fajardo has looked out for them, or look, worked out for them. He's their, He was technically their second-string quarterback starting the season. Um, you know, Calgary, they survived without, uh, Bo Levi Mitchell. So, you know, it's not a, it's not the most opportune time to lose your starter, but Hey, you know what? You don't have a choice. 
and uh, it's next man up, and they don't have a choice. They have to win with whoever is at quarterback. So, I mean, once again, you know, I think football, I know football is the ultimate team sport, and it's not just one guy. So guys have to step up, and in this case, Logan Kilgore has to step up and see what he can do. But uh, it's going to be tough for them because, like I said, the Western Conference this year is a killer because all the teams seem to be good with the exception of the Lions. So, you know, good luck to them. I hope it works out for them. Well, actually, I don't hope it works out for them. Um, So, hey, who knows? Go ahead, Phil. Well, you know, it's... The next four games, the Eskimos have uh, two against Hamilton, one against Ottawa, and one against BC. So they've got a couple games in there that it's going to give uh, Logan Kilgore a little chance, the second and fourth games coming up. And they've got a bye week going in as well to begin with. So they're certainly in a position to be successful with a, a backup quarterback. So I'm going to just leave my judgment for for a couple weeks, but – I do got to say, it doesn't look good right now, especially Edmonton starting to show some deficiencies in other parts of the game besides quarterback. Um, so overall, I, I really think we're starting to look at, at Edmonton as being the crossover team. I'm starting to believe this more and more, that uh, they're going to fall out of the race in the West. That's I think that's really all I can think of to add to it. Other than... I, other than I had expected any discussion about the Edmonton Eskimos tonight might have included uh, the uh, pressure and the stories we're hearing about the uh, some of the unrest with their faithful in uh, Jason Moss and the story about the uh, the general manager Brock Sunderland coming down to the field and making such a public statement by walking in front of all the players on the sideline, basically on the field, on the numbers during the game. Um, Unheard of. I've never, ever seen it before. I've seen general managers stand off to the side, but uh, he wanted to make his presence known and felt after that uh, a little bit of altercation between two Eskimo players during the game. Um, It's disturbing. It's, uh, It's created a lot of stories out of Edmonton. I haven't read any of them. I was going to read some tonight. I was actually on the phone uh, before the uh, podcast, about an hour before the podcast, talking to a friend in Edmonton, and I said, you know, i got to go. i got to uh, study up on this thing about Jason Moss. And he goes, oh, what about Jason Moss? And I said, well, you don't you know? Haven't you been reading the paper? And he says, no, I haven't. And uh, so I said, I'm going to go to the list right now. And I said, I'll bet you we're talking about it tonight on the podcast. And I went down the list, and I was very surprised that we're not. And, but I think it's going to be a discussion in the days and weeks ahead. Um, things seem to be unraveling somewhat in Edmonton, I think more so than what we even see on the field. And it's just uh, it's going to be very interesting coming up here. So what is the thing with Jason Moss? I actually haven't heard about this. Well, during the game, uh, the uh, Rock Sunderland, Sunderland came down from the booth and uh, made a very strange oh, appearance. Yeah, okay, and he was walking on the sidelines there. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, combined with that, uh, all the uh, talk shows, the podcasts, the uh, the fan sites, they're all calling for Jason Moss's head right now. 
Yep. Well, things are not going well for Jason Moss right now. And, I mean, we went over this a few weeks ago that basically uh, they're not beating teams above 500. Uh, all of their wins basically this year have come against sub-500 teams. Whenever they played teams like Calgary, whenever they played Winnipeg, they couldn't get the job done, and it's continuing that way. Um, yeah, when the, the Trevor Harris injury makes it even, uh, I think, even more difficult. Again, if he's out long-term, and no offensive to Logan Kilgore, but with the, the way the West is, with those other three strong teams, Calgary, Winnipeg, and Saskatchewan, I think the Eskimos have to be at their very best to remain with those teams because if they're not at their best, they are not in the same caliber with those three. And I think it's showing because every time they've had a test against one of these big teams, they've failed it. So that's uh, really problematic. Uh, It's great to beat up on all the have-not teams, but if you can't beat top-notch teams, you're not going anywhere. And with Logan Kilgore uh, at quarterback, sure, you might be able to beat the Ottawa's or Toronto's and BC's of the world, but if you're throwing Logan Kilgore up against uh, Trevor Harris, if or Logan Trevor Harris, if you're throwing Logan Kilgore up against Paul Levi Mitchell, or if you're throwing him up against uh, whether it's Nichols or Strebler in Winnipeg, or even against Cody Fajardo, for the most part, as he's played this year, I think in all of those uh, matchups, their scale tips towards the Eskimos' opponent. And again, this is not a slight on Logan Kilgore, but he's a very young guy, very inexperienced guy. He looked all right coming off the bench the other night against Calgary, but uh, coming off the bench and um, starting are two different things. Uh, and also, the more he plays, the more film teams get against him. They figure out his tendencies. He's not so much a great unknown, and his effectiveness could very easily go down at that point. I think we've seen a lot of that uh, with Dane Evans in Hamilton, although he's seemingly been able to fight through it. So we'll have to wait and see uh, if Logan Kilgore has the same fortitude. Now, this is all supposing that Trevor Harris is out injured because we have not heard anything definitive on his condition and whether or not he is out in this game uh, long term. So we're still going to have to wait on that. We'll probably find that out in the next couple of days. And then we'll see where the Eskimos go from there. So any other comments on the Eskimos here uh, going uh, forward from uh, Will or Phil or anybody? Nothing. All right. I guess it's nothing. So let's move on to our next segment. Speaking of people who might be in trouble job-wise, Ed Hervey still believes that success is coming to him, that the team that he's put together that has one win, the, the losing his team in the CFL right now, it still has uh, success in front of them. Is he just being delusional about this? Because, boy, it's hard to see a whole lot positive with BC. I mean, sure, they have been better in the last few weeks. They're still losing. 
Uh, Will, is this team that Ed Hervey's put together, do they still have a possibility of success in front of them? And even if um, they do, will Hervey be around to see it? Well, I, I don't think I don't think they're going to get rid of Hervey. I don't think they're going to get rid of Claybrooks. I really don't think they're going to do that this year. And I would guess that they've probably got about five games next year before anything happens, to be honest with you. You got you to gotta understand it's a young coaching staff. Look at what would, should, okay, I can, we can turn this around and say, should Mike O'Shea have been fired in his first year of coaching? If you go by their record, I can't remember what it was, but it wasn't that great. No, okay, and 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 they didn't, and they didn't, and he's been around for what six, seven, eight years now, I think. First Something two like years, that. Uh, first two years, Michael Shea had bad record. Right, right, and they didn't get rid of him. So, and I, I tend to wonder if it is really a good idea to fire the coach in most situations. Um, you know, one of the things, one of the things Jason Moss said last night on an interview was, you know, the players have to step up and the players have to play games and they have to execute properly. And, you know, if they're not doing that, is that necessarily the coach's fault? So, you know, I I, I do believe that parts of BC couldn't be changed on the field. Um, They do have some good parts, believe it or not. I mean, most people wouldn't believe it, but they do have some good working parts. And let's see, you know, I mean, let's face it. The rest of their season is is not, is they're not going to make the playoffs. Pretty sure they're not going to make the playoffs. So what's stopping Ed Hervey from, to bring some guys in? I mean, number one offensive line guys, guys that are hungry, Okay. But does it? And I would assume Ed Hervey has those kind of contacts. So let's see. Let's see what he does for the rest of the year. Let's see what Devon Claybrooks does for the rest of the year. Like we all agreed last week, Brian Chu was a scapegoat in my mind. Okay, because he was the only guy that they had a choice that they could get rid of. So I mean, I think they should give him another chance, and I think. Uh, you know, five games into next year, and, and if it doesn't work out, then you start firing GMs and head coaches. That simple. Go ahead. Phil, what are your thoughts on Ed Hervey? Oh, I think Ed Hervey's going to be around for a while yet. Um, I'll tell you why. I, because I do see improvement in the BC Lions the last couple weeks. And it and maybe even a little bit longer. And it's not like they're not doing anything. I mean, they brought in Sean Lemon when the defense wasn't working, and the defense has played better. They uh, brought in an offensive line coach when the offensive line wasn't working out, and this game, this last game, we can say the offensive line played a lot better. And if you look at the roster and go through this roster, this is a talented football team. Talent isn't the problem. The problem probably does lie with a little bit of inexperience on the coaching side. And I think they addressed that by, by firing Brian Chu. I think that was a good firing. I don't think it was just following, finding somebody to be the fall guy. I, I think it was a good firing and a necessary firing 
They needed to improve the uh, experience level of the coaching staff in general. And then maybe, maybe they need one more tweak yet to be done. But if you go through this roster, they really, especially at the key positions, they've, they've got a pretty solid core of defensive backs with experience and, and, uh, and success in the CFL. The uh, linebacker could be said, maybe there's some holes there right now. Uh, offensive line, certainly the names are there. People who have had success prior in this league. He's also got a great core of receivers. I mean, Brian Burnham may be the best receiver in the CFL. Uh, you know, they took a long shot on Carter. Maybe it's not going to work out. Maybe they got to do something there. Uh, but a, a receiver is not very difficult to find in the CFL these days, gentlemen, especially with we're going to have a bunch of them come back from the NFL here in the next 10 days. Um, they probably got one of the best, uh, best Canadian receivers in the league in Durant, in, in my mind. Um, and he signed Mike Riley in the offseason. So as far as Ed Hervey not being successful yet, I, I would have to disagree. It, there's sometimes you've got to look away from the win column and look at everything else that's happening with the team. And uh, I think they're improving. And, and I do believe, like Ed Hervey says, the, there are better days ahead for the BC Lions. That's all I got. I think far too often in professional sports, coaches and general managers get brought down as scapegoats, and not really scapegoats, but they're basically taken out without giving them a chance to fix the problem that they created. Now, last year the Lions were a decent team, and Herbie was the general manager. They made the playoffs, didn't do much in it, so he made some moves in the off season, and you know what? They haven't worked, um, but he tried. It's not from lack of trying, but he didn't get the the mix he needed here in BC. He brought in um, big ticket Mike Riley with a big ticket free agent, but wasn't able to put together an offensive line that can protect him. Now, maybe that was coaching. We saw Brian Chu lose his job. Kelly Bates come in, and the defensive line play, or offensive line paid a lot better. Uh, the defense struggled. The f- defensive uh, front seven struggled early in this year. So Ed Herbie made a trade, brought back Sean Lemon. Now, of course, they could have brought back Sean Lemon in the off season and given up nothing for him. Instead, they had to give uh, give up. Um, oh, I can't think of his name right now. The offense, another defensive lineman going back the other way. Um, if anyone remembers the guy's name, I, uh, for some reason I'm drawing a blank. But um, um, anyways, he brought in Sean Lemon, and that the defense has actually played much better uh, in with the return of Sean Lemon. I even think that uh, I stated the a uh, couple uh, uh, like last week or the week before with Lemon back, it seems to have rejuvenated. Uh, Menard coming back was also a positive. He's trying to make moves to make this team better. And I expect we're probably going to see more moves before the season is over. Um, Riley, for all the problems he's had, he's still among the top uh, passing yardage in the CFL. So it's not like he's been a total bust, but, I mean, the guy's getting beaten up 
game in, game out. So, I mean, he's not going to be his full self. But I don't think you can call that signing a bust. Deron Carter is one that still makes me scratch my head because, quite frankly, we've gotten virtually nothing out of it. Lamar Durant is a, was a good signing. He's played very well this year for the most part for the Lions. Uh, I like the addition of Javon Katoy, uh, who was brought up from the Langley Rams junior football team. He's had some uh, good impact this year. They do have a pretty good experience secondary. They need more of a pass rush. But you know what? I can see good things in, in her, Ed Hervey's um, uh, what he's done. Uh, he hasn't been perfect. A lot of people want to throw the towel in on Devon Claybrooks. I still don't think so. I think coaches are too quickly fired. Are we really only going to give a rookie head coach 18 games to prove himself? Now, again, I'm not saying that our uh, patience with them are endless. I'm certainly not saying that. But I do think that we can, um, you know, he can be given more of a shot next year. Now, if we come in next year and we have the same kind of lousy uh, performance through seven, nine games, then you got to look and say, okay, this isn't working out. It's time to change. But I don't think we can do a knee-jerk reaction. I think we can, ha- we can go about it uh, a little more methodically, and let's see what kind of moves Ed Herbie makes through the remaining um, um, remaining of this season and what kind of moves he makes in the off season. Hell, how many kicks did the candidate Cavis Reed get in Montreal before they finally dumped him? So I still think, even though the Lions are having a poor season, it's premature to just throw in the towel and get rid of these guys. I still think there are um, there's some um, work to be done here, and I still think that the Lions can uh, these guys can turn the ship around. So let's see what they can do going forward, because I don't know, especially with Devon Claybrooks, I don't think he's been given a a, a long enough chance. I, I think. Especially the rookie head coach, I think you can get a do-over if you have a bad season. But if we start off, you know, one and five, two and four next year, then maybe it's time to look and say, you know what, it's time to try something else. But I don't think we're at this point yet. All right, so let's move on. Uh, we've got about six minutes left, so we're going to talk about another struggling team, even though they had a big win this weekend, the Toronto Argonauts. And their general manager, Jim Pop, speaking of a guy who's gotten lots of second chances, Jim Pop has been uh, fielding calls uh, from teams interested in making some deals here for some of the uh, Argo stars. But Pop says he's willing to stand pat with the current roster he has. Now, the Argos are 2-9, and nine, and let's face it, they're not going to the playoffs any more than the Lions are going to the playoffs. So should Jim Pop looking look at moving some of his um, uh, key components to try and uh, bolster uh, his team in the future? And I'll let Phil start on this one. What do you think, Phil? Uh, should Pop make a trade or two, maybe to bring in some younger talent or some uh, draft picks for uh, teams that might be looking to load up for the stretch run? I don't think so, Charles. I think uh, Jim Pop is still in uh, team building mode. I don't think he's in rebuild mode or in no mood to fire sale 
like he said in the article, he's in no mood to fire sale any of his players. Uh, and no, re- no reason to, in my mind. I-, I think much like the BC Lions, um, this team has gotten better week after week here, especially over the last three, four weeks. Um, and I believe the Argos are on their way up. And uh, you, you and I both know the value of draft picks is pretty low in the Canadian Football League. Mm-hmm. So I just don't see him doing any dismantling unless it was something that was going to improve his football team right away this year or by week one for 2020. I, I just don't see it. And I look at his roster here that he's built here. I, I don't think uh, – I don't see a whole lot of big glaring weaknesses anywhere, and I've seen them play more competitively. Uh, and uh, I see the riders have them coming up and uh, on their schedule, and I'm getting a little more fearful all the time of having to face a much improved Toronto Argonauts football team. That's all I got. Will, what are your thoughts on Jim Pop? Well, I, I think Jim Pop has always been able to find talent elsewhere because he's got this huge connection down south or wherever, and I think he does bring in good players. Um, you know what? We had no expectations this year of Toronto. I think most of us picked them as last or second last or somewhere in around there. And uh, you know what? I think they found a quarterback. Um, I'm still not sold on Corey Chamblin as as their head coach. I'm thinking he might get replaced before Jim Pop gets replaced. And but I don't think right now you should fire sale anything because don't forget also coming up, you know, in the off season there's going to be another free agency frenzy because a lot of guys only signed one year contracts. I know Mika Johnson in Saskatchewan only signed a one-year contract. Um, and there's a number of other people. And I just think Jim Pop will he'll try and improve the team next year. But this year, you know what? They, well, they slaughtered Ottawa. But I think they can be competitive in the right situation. So I think they should keep him around for a while. I don't think he's going anywhere. I think he's part of the good old boys club in Toronto and he's got a good relationship with the uh, with the team management and the owners because obviously you know they Mark Tressman left on his own but I don't think Jim Pop wanted him there to be honest with you and so we'll see we'll see what happens go ahead all right, well, I've only got a brief time yet because our show is just coming to an end. we got less than two minutes. Uh, two years ago, Jim Pop won a Grey Cup, so uh, that buys you some currency here. He does have good connections down south. So, yeah, I mean, the guy has won multiple Grey Cups as a general manager. Now, he certainly had his share of slip-ups, too, but you know what? Let's see what he does here. Uh, the team looks like they're finally getting their ship righted. No pun intended. So, you know what? Let's see how it goes uh, going forward because they might not be in for a good last, last half of the season. We'll see how it turns out for them. But uh, having said that, it is time to wrap it up for another Sunday night here. Episode 394 is in the books. Soon to be followed by episode 395. Coming your way Wednesday night as we preview the upcoming week in the CFL. Some interesting matchups. So, Join us again Wednesday night, and we'll do that. 
right now it's time to say goodnight. We'll see if we can do this a little more seamlessly than we did the last show. We'll say goodnight. Good night, everybody. We'll talk to you on Wednesday night, I'm assuming. And hopefully we'll have a full panel on Wednesday night. And go out. Phil, it's your turn. Say good night. Good night, CSL fans. And enjoy the uh, Banjo Bowl Parade, Winnipeggers. What do they even do with that trophy? I, don't, I have no idea. Anyways, this has been Let's Talk CFL. Show number 394, thank you for joining us tonight. We'll be back with you, as we said, coming up this Wednesday night. Good night, and have a pleasant Monday.